0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another season of Here, Here Dan's Audiobook Podcast. For season three, I'm reading you my latest fiction story, Bigger Than Ourselves. Chapter one, the introduction to St. Brendan Parish, has been out there a while, but now I'll be sharing the full story, one chapter at a time, in this feed. Unlike the first two seasons, Bigger Than Ourselves is more a collection of short stories, chapters that each follow a different parishioner through a different layer of parish life through each month of the year, all building to a big finish. Each week with each chapter, I'll also be tacking on a mini-blogcast to the end of that episode, reading a blog reflection on that chapter that I've posted online, but also want to podcast into your feed as a bonus to your audiobook listening. The stories from all three seasons are available in a new paperback compilation called Go Your Way, available now on Amazon. For more info on this compilation, a link to buy, and links to my other writing, head to my link tree, l i n k t r. e e slash dan masterton, or find me on Instagram and Twitter at this lad dan. All right, time to meet Madison. Here's chapter two. <music> the August heat was winding down its last big onslaught. The oppressive mugginess of Midwestern summer ebbed and flowed, and this heat wave's influx of humidity had peaked. The sharp, biting sun of summer middays would now give way. Sweaty afternoons soothed by trips to the pool were numbered. Lifeguards would soon return to their college campuses. Dusty, sticky evenings on the baseball and softball diamonds had wrapped up for the season, and the mom, dad, and grad signs in seasonal sections at the stores had long given way to back-to-school displays and discounted spiral notebooks. At a nearby Catholic school that a few St. Brendan teens attended, the dean was preparing some remarks for the upcoming faculty meetings. He was rolling out mandatory random drug testing to students and needed to brief his faculty. As he compiled the major research and statistics, he knew he needed to address the human element of things rather than focus solely on policing. The veteran administrator switched from bullet points in an outline to verbatim scripting. He lifted his pen off the yellow legal pad fiddled with the rolled-back clump of paper over the gluey binding, and scribbled down a bit of a thesis statement. We're not really doing this for the kids who are going to do drugs anyway, though we want to identify and help them. We're not really doing this for the kids that are never going to do drugs anyway, though we want to affirm and support them. We're doing this for the kids in between, the kids who might really need one more reason to say no. On this summer Sunday evening, as the dean wrapped his prep work and traded his pen and pad for the recliner and remote, and some primetime football. The very same teenagers he contemplated were scattered about the blacktop and lawn at St. Brendan. Whether the parents and priests knew it, all three groups of kids were present at Navigator's Night, a cookout and prayer service to wind down the summer before a new school year hit and brought the sometimes welcome, sometimes tired routine of another academic year. And their youth and young adult minister, Miss Hope, knew who was who, with the street smarts knowledge she firmly possessed but didn't share or let on about. Split between a noncommittal game of bags and an adjacent picnic table were a handful of kids who used drugs on a monthly basis, some who grabbed weed from a sympathetic older sibling, and a few who got into hard stuff from shady deals. They were all clever enough to resist talking about it on church grounds. Not far away on the dusty blacktop, the kids who could always say no were mostly drawing chalk murals and hashtagging cliche self-help onto the rubbly blacktop, while two of them negotiated the next Spotify playlist to send to the youth group Bluetooth speaker. They teetered on the edge of argument more than usual because their unsung leader, Christina, was out of town. Then there was the in-between kids, a few shooting free throws on a wall-mounted old basketball hoop beside a faded logo, a few roaming the grounds chatting a few manning the old wheel-mounted popcorn maker that must have come from an old circus. Madison was reaching the faded chrome scooper into the freshly popped kernels. The popcorn in the silvery kettle came out quite hot. The popcorn that had sit in the basin was going tepid. Madison landed the scooper in the lukewarm pieces near the top and conveyed the snack food into bags held open with chalky hands by her friends, two of the good ones, Jamie and Lisbeth. They smiled and thanked her and then returned to their half-drawn mural. Miss Hope's regular trip to the National Catholic Youth Conference was the genesis for many of these friendships. While the teens got to know each other a bit on these youth nights and over service trips, something about the immersive nature of a trip taken as a group tended to springboard these friendships. Last year, Christina, Jamie, and Lisbeth were all returning attendees, and they invited Madison under their wing. They helped her find a comfort level getting into the praise music. They brought her on their swag-swapping walks around the conference. They even helped her get comfortable with Eucharistic adoration in a giant crowded stadium. On the ride home from Indianapolis, the majority of the passengers had fallen asleep, but Madison and Christina were talking. Madison was happily stuck in taking it all in mode, still reveling in the bigness of her first visit to such an event. She found herself mostly listening to Christina. Chris talked about home. She described her dance group, not how skilled and gifted she thought she was, but how much she loved dancing with a group and how she hoped teaching dance could become a way to serve. Chris talked about service, not in a foot-dragging sense of tallying mandatory hours, but as a way of walking with people who too often walked alone. Chris took a scroll break and zipped through Instagram posts, but stopped on a friend's photo to read a lengthy, reflective caption she had written. Chris stopped to DM that friend, and Madison noticed a sizable inbox of not-short messages Christina had sent to countless people. The whole of these road trip conversations left Madison feeling something new. It was an affection she hadn't had towards someone else before. Christina was clearly different. She wasn't necessarily better than the other peers strewn around her in that van, but she was deeper, more rooted, pronouncedly spiritual, and definitely more mature than her teenaged peers. Madison knew she wanted to stay close to Christina, even if she wasn't totally sure why or how. Madison was consoled when, at subsequent youth nights, Christina found Madison before Madison even had to seek her out. Madison had made some progress, moving from a faith practiced in fealty to her parents, who she mostly respected and honored, to a faith starting to be owned more primarily in her own heart. Madison's popcorn scooping was a little empty during this youth night because her emerging scion, Christina, was out of town that weekend at a service-learning immersion on the U.S.-Mexico border. Madison watched Jamie and Liz amble away as she set down the scooper and closed up the clear doors of the old machine. Madison lazily surveyed the mixed scene from her vantage point as, from the steps to the church side door, there came a garbled but familiar sound. Miss Hope held her iPhone speaker up to a janky bullhorn to amplify the bell tower alarm chime. The kids knew the drill. They gradually stopped their activities and funneled into the church. It was time for a little prayer service before they would come back outside and clean up for the night. Miss Hope watched them file past with gentle hospitality and a soft smile. Her face betrayed hints of fatigue. The spirit was willing, but with flickering zeal, and the flesh was surely a bit weak. The two or three dozen teens typically clustered in a few rows of one section in the front, a behavior that somehow managed to buck the Catholic trend of sitting far apart and needlessly distant from the altar, probably due to ignorance of a trend common among older churchgoers. By the time Madison sealed up the popcorn machine and powered it down, she was trailing the group. She walked inside to see Jamie and Liz squeezing into the last bit of space in the pew by the NCYC crowd. "Uh, Oh, well, guess I can't sit there, Madison thought. I hate trying to find a spot. Why does it have to be so hard? She was a bit annoyed, but trudged on. I wish Christina were here. Well, you know what? I bet she'd just sit wherever there's room and not even worry. I'll just go sit in that last row. There's plenty of room. Madison approached the pews and grabbed a spot in the last row of teens, fourth row from the front. She knew these girls by name but didn't know them well. She resolved to relax and be hospitable. Hi, Katie. Hi, Eileen, Madison said as she waved. What were you guys doing outside? Throwing bags, Katie murmured. Killing time, Eileen declared. At least we're out of the house. Not like there's much to do on a Sunday night before school's starting. Madison forced a smile as she nodded and chuckled. It so happened that most of the teenagers in the group came from public high schools, but Madison knew these two came from a Catholic school, Bishop O'Malley. What's this next year for school look like for you, Madison inquired. Eileen laughed. Katie took charge. Another year of shoving Catholic stuff down our throats, Eileen added a gagging, choking sound for effect. Madison was confused. She had the instinct to nervously laugh, but stifled it. She didn't want to let on too much that she didn't get it. How so, she asked innocently enough. Katie's eyes bulged as she prepared a bit. Retreats every year, reconciliation twice a year, mass every month, theology class every day, prayer every period, Katie declared, then looked down her nose with eyebrows raised at Madison. Okay, that is a lot, but isn't it Catholic school, Madison asked, showing her skepticism a bit. Yeah, Eileen admitted, but we didn't choose to go there. We didn't choose to believe in this. We didn't choose to participate in all this stuff. And when we disagree, the teachers criticize us and punish us and give us bad grades. I don't need a bunch of old single women and celibate creepy men telling me what to think and do, Katie alleged. We have our own fun, how we want, and keep it under wraps enough to skirt by. Madison had a lot of follow-up questions, but Miss Hope broke her momentum. Let us remember that we are in the presence of God, she prayed over the handheld microphone, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, the teens responded. Miss Hope gave them a greeting and explained how she wanted to begin their year of faith-sharing and service and fun in prayer, and then give their pastor a chance to greet them. Katie broke in with a whisper, leaning across Eileen to project her quiet words to Madison. We come because our parents expect us to come, but we don't have to engage with it, and we don't have to let anyone else get anything out of this. Madison leaned back as Katie returned to normal seating posture. They were all facing forward to listen to Miss Hope's reflection. Eileen and Katie were sitting relaxed, not slouching, but not upright, not attentively honed in, but not indifferent. Their body language offered deniability. It looked like they were probably mostly listening, even though Madison knew they weren't. As Miss Hope ran down the different social events and service outreach things she'd planned for the year, something about the youth minister's delivery was a bit flat. A smidge rote. Madison found herself under-engaged as a listener, and preoccupied by these girls to her right. I've never noticed them do anything controversial. They don't heckle through presentations. They don't disrespect Miss Hope. They don't wear provocative outfits. What's their deal? Madison couldn't remember anything too crazy, especially since they never volunteered for any leadership roles or went on the big trips like NCYC. She remembered a time during Stump the Minister when Katie asked some pointed questions about the male priesthood and sexual abuse cover ups. She also recalled a faith sharing night when Eileen's offerings and discussion were not personal feelings, but generalized criticisms of sexual ethics, such as complaints about natural family planning and celibacy for non-married people. That's when it started to hit Madison. They weren't trying to blow the dam with a big detonation in one explosive moment. They were just poking holes in every crack they could find and fighting a hundred years war from the inside. Oh man, they're not drama queens. They're assassins, she thought. Madison's mouth curled into a smirk. That's kind of brilliant. Madison looked around at the backs of all these teenage heads in the pews in front of her, all the faces staring up toward the youth minister they followed and trusted. I've never really thought about that much. I just came to Mass and got involved with youth group because that's where my parents took me. But do I really want to be here? I mean, there's a million other things I could be doing. And what do people think when they see me so involved with church? Madison's mind began to race on this new, freshly paved highway. As she zoomed along, she noticed Katie lean forward to whisper to the boy and girl in front of her. Madison snapped out of her mental soliloquy to listen in. You know that's BS, right? Katie queried, responding to Hope's descriptions of service opportunities. These people at the food pantries don't actually need our help. They're drinkers and smokers for the most part, and a lot of them just hit up a bunch of different food pantries to game the system. They're actually lazy. Katie leaned back to her spot with a just saying sort of expression as the boy looked back at her. Madison's eyes widened and her chin sank. Her memories of food pantry service trips jumped to the front of her mind and seemed to displace the fresh images Christina had shared with her of migrants seeking social services at the border. Is that true, Madison blurted, in the loudest whisper there ever was. Eileen answered with another question, leaning forward to the kids in front of her, but also addressing Madison. Did you know those folks at the border are perfectly fine back home? They invent and exaggerate stories about drug gangs so they can come here and get welfare and luxury. Doesn't that just drive you crazy, Katie added? It's why we'll never be able to afford to buy our own houses or get social security, Eileen concluded. Madison's head was spinning. She had plenty of recollections of people at service sites with apparently serious needs, of the vitality and joy of church life at NCYC, of the peace and blessings of those seeking to be fed, of the simple community goodness at their parish. Unfortunately, they were loosely held, and shallowly rooted. Her mind shoved them away in haste, such that they'd be difficult to easily find again. Madison spent the rest of the evening on the lookout for their next snipes, hanging on the edge of her pew the way a generous audience member awaits the next joke from a stand-up comedian they love. As Miss Hope wrapped up her talk, the girls were snickering and subtly rolling their eyes, not unlike the kids in class who can pull a B-plus while misbehaving every time the teacher's back is turned. Their snipes continued through the pastor's reflection. Father Joseph challenged them to consider the road to Emmaus. He acknowledged the path they walked together as teens within the parish, and he encouraged them to act as if they've now seen the breaking of the bread and have come to identify Christ in their midst. Father Joseph suggested that they didn't have to rediscover that clarity and fire from scratch at the start of each year. Katie was focused on what she could easily consider hypocrisy. A nicely pressed clerical suit, Brightly shined high-end dress shoes, a shiny crucifix necklace. Eileen tuned their pastor out for upstaging the woman youth minister, who talked for a shorter time and wielded less power than the priest, even though Eileen didn't seem fond of Miss Hope either. Little did they know Father Joe's crucifix was pretty modest, minimalist even, and that he thought quite highly of his director of youth and young adult ministry. Madison got herself in on the action, criticizing the priest for having attempted a TikTok dance at last year's final event, even though it was the teen's idea and their insistence that made it happen. The accuracy and relevance of each of their barbs was unimportant. Katie and Eileen had mixed up some angsty Kool-Aid, and even if it was dilute and ultimately unsatisfying, Madison was chugging it down. The girls went through the motions of the sits, stands, and kneels that the prayer service entailed, making enough eye contact and murmuring enough to give the appearance of participation. Madison was new to such empty gestures, but she picked up the act pretty smoothly. After the final sign of the cross, Miss Hope gave some instructions for cleanup outside. While she split them into groups to tidy up the outdoor space, Katie had her phone out and blitzed through snaps and stories on her half hidden screen, while Eileen leaned forward to whisper at the kids in front of her again. As the teens all got up to head to their jobs outside, Madison had the instinct to linger. Let the rest of them do it, Madison scoffed, piloting this newly acquired shtick. I don't need to worry about that stuff. Katie and Eileen didn't react. They just stared emptily at her, and then stood up and followed the group outside. Madison hesitated, confused why her indifference wasn't reciprocated. She froze for a beat, and then shuffled rapidly to catch up to her two co-conspirators. As various items were gathered and folded and stored and cleaned, Madison watched Katie and Eileen orbit the cleanup, slowly trudging around near others who were doing their jobs. At one point, Eileen snagged an empty grocery bag and held it open. She never put anything in it, though Katie did grab one windblown food wrapper to toss in there. Madison's emotional sugar high from riding their coattails now stagnated in nervous energy. Katie and Eileen didn't blow off the cleanup, didn't laugh at her joke, and didn't join her protest. And Madison hadn't listened to the instructions enough to figure out a job she could or should do. As her eyes bounced around to scan the area, people were wrapping up and starting to head to cars or rides. Katie snagged the nearly empty bag out of Eileen's hands and tossed it into a garbage can on her way to the pickup line. They crossed past Madison, who confusedly waved with a half-smile. The pair of girls didn't acknowledge her. Madison was all mixed up into an uncertain alchemy of confusion. Before Madison could process these interactions, Miss Hope sidled up to her. "'Hey, Madison. How are you doing?' she asked. Madison didn't immediately offer the usual good. Instead, she remained in her paralysis, all mixed up between the new fun of gently sabotaging something and the fresh social confusion of her new friends. Luckily, Miss Hope, who would have genuinely liked to know the answer, but was also trying to wrap up and get home, was mostly trying to help Madison wrap up and head out. Are you good friends with Katie and Eileen? I have to admit, I don't know them real well. Anyway, I hope you had fun tonight. I see your dad waiting for you in the car line, Miss Hope said, pointing over to the end of the parking lot with a wave. Oh, thanks, Madison mumbled, not able to figure out how to start untying the pretzel knot gnarled up inside her. Madison looked up and walked with aimlessness over to her dad. Miss Hope watched her, along with the last few teens, hopping in their cars to head out. Hope may have been nearing the cusp of burnout, but she could still recognize a troubled teenage mind when she saw one. Once Madison pulled the car door shut, the slam propelled Miss Hope back inside to close up the church and call it a night. She noted the odd vibes in her mental pastoral Rolodex. Inside the car, Madison reached over her shoulder to pull the seatbelt into position. As she buckled into the shotgun seat, her dad asked, How was it? Good, Madison replied, with an utterly ambivalent inflection. Luckily, her dad was already pulling away, more interested in the fourth quarter of Sunday night football, which was playing on the radio and still playing on the TV at home, than in a detailed description of her night. As they drove, Madison thought about sending some kind of text or a DM, maybe posting a snarky story, but she couldn't figure out what to do or say. She was mired in uncertainty. Her question wasn't so much a frustrated, what's their deal, but rather a curious, inquisitive, what's their deal? The question floated in and out of her mind during the week, but got washed out in the final days of summer. The impending new year loomed ever closer, though sophomore year wasn't that big of a deal anyway, Madison self-rationalized. Everyone would be worried about orienting the freshmen and helping juniors prepare for tests and applications and making sure seniors stay out of trouble. That last week of freedom ended with Sunday Mass, the last summer wake-up before orientation day for a new year that followed on Monday. Madison's mom and dad brought her and her brother to the 10 a.m. Mass. Like many suburban parishes, this parish knew the perfection of 10 o'clock. It was that sweet spot in a Sunday morning that wasn't too early for folks to be able to get reasonably out the door and make it on time, or at least make it before the first reading but wasn't so late that it felt like it sapped your afternoon and thus your whole day and weekend. This fit the bill for Madison's family, for many families with kids and teens, and even for Katie's family. Madison and her family had walked into the church, but just as they reached the aisle to choose a seat, her parents were intercepted by an old neighbor who had moved across town but still saw them sometimes at mass. The neighbor initiated what would surely be a dry conversation. Madison's little brother instinctively tagged along with them, robotically remaining close to his parents, while leaving his mind deeply vacant. Madison stood jilted at the rear of the church, wondering what to do with the deathly long five minutes before Mass started. As she released a sigh, her eyes fell to the right, where she saw Katie, also alone, also killing time until her parents wrapped up their pre-Mass social hour. Without thinking about how fraught the interaction might be, Madison gravitated towards Katie, and plopped down in the pew in front of her, facing sideways, neck craned, and turned to have a chat. I didn't know you come to the 10 Mass, Madison started. Katie nodded with her eyes. She was flat, affectless, though not sad or mad. Do you guys usually sit back here? We tend to be up near the middle on the other side, Madison explained. Do you come every week? Of course, Katie confirmed. You have to come to Mass. Well, you don't have to come, Madison replied. I mean, if I really wanted, I could get my parents to let me stay home. I come to see what's up. I do the responses and get communion and stuff, but I try to figure out something to do. I think I'm going to volunteer for Children's Liturgy of the Word or be a catechist for religious ed, Katie explained. Now Madison was extra confused. So you're poking holes in homilies and ripping on youth ministers one minute, and then you're helping clean up and volunteering to teach the faith the next? What the hell is your deal? I want to see what those kids are getting told, and if it's bad, I'll tear it down. If those moms are making these kids swallow garbage, I'll tell them what's up when we're walking back into the church or if those religious ed programs are shoving BS down the kids' throats, I'll ignore the lessons, plans, and tests and let them have fun during class instead, Katie continued. I'm not going to let these kids be zombies to this, she said, gesturing mildly to the whole congregation. Before the saboteur vibes hit Madison fully, she heard her name and snapped to attention. In her twisted posture, she was facing the direction of the call from her mom, who was now waving sort of frantically for Madison to come over and sit. Madison looked over Katie's shoulder to the rear of the church and saw Father Andrew, the youth altar servers, and a gray-haired, sharp-dressed man lining up the crew for their march in. Madison popped up, not even thinking to say goodbye to Katie, and shot over to her family. She nestled in on the end of the pew, squishing her mom, dad, and brother in toward the folks in the middle. As soon as she sat down, she stood up again. Mass was starting. That snappy usher was at the doors to choreograph the procession. Like a grand marshal of a parade, he was in some way a ceremonial guarantor of liturgical decorum. With chivalrous ease and a classic smile, the gentleman staggered the members of the liturgical procession. He was a particularly jovial, gregarious, slim old man, holding each pair of folks at the doorway to regulate the flow of traffic and ensure an exemplary procession. With a clean, sharp white shirt and an impeccably tied solid red tie, he had a perennial dignity about his wordless work, At last, Father Andrew reached the doorway, and this man yielded the pacing to the associate pastor. Father Andrew smiled, nodded, and took his place at the rear of the procession. When he reached the steps to the sanctuary, he peered briefly to his right, then his left, and gently led the group in a solemn bow. The man at the rear doorway smiled just a tad wider and began scouting families along the rear wall who might welcome some help with finding an empty place. Madison noticed none of this. Father Andrew's voice came over the sound system and led everyone in the sign of the cross. By spirit, amen, Madison came back to earth a bit. The opening rites of the mass spun her into an active reflection. Perhaps unironically, while most of the people around her contemplated the sins they'd offer on the altar that morning, Madison thought about Katie's mission, a potent example that demonstrated how hate is livelier than indifference. Man, what made her like this? Who did her wrong? Why is she so angry, Madison wondered. And why do I care? Her mind stumbled, frozen a second. I guess it's just exciting for me to see some passion and fire. I don't know if I agree with her, but her style is something. I wish I had that confidence. I wish I had that independence. What have I been doing with church and youth group and faith all these years? What do I have to show for it? Have I been wasting my time? Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. Madison went back toward outer space for most of the rest of Mass. She didn't internalize any of the gospel or the homily. She didn't catch any of the intentions. She certainly didn't bring anything to offer, not literally in the collection baskets or spiritually up on the altar. Though God surely is present during our internal reflections, whether we intentionally acknowledge God there with us or not. When it came time to kneel with the Eucharistic prayer, something finally awoke in her at least a little bit. Rather than freezing up in internal paralysis or poring over flimsy conjectures, something pulled her outside herself. From the cush of the kneeler, she had an unobstructed sightline to the altar. The bread, the wine, the vessels, and the priest were plainer to see, and as her eyes set on Father Andrew, she became more aware of what was around her. She watched the associate pastor elevate the host and chalice in confident reverence and intone the sung prayer with conviction. As she rose from the kneeler after the great amen, amid a wave of folks adjusting their shirtbacks and kicking up kneelers, Madison's gaze now settled on a middle-aged woman as the congregation dove into the Lord's Prayer. This woman was a mom and an empty nester who happened to be wearing a flowy, comfy, dressy sweater over top of an outfit of scrubs. As the prayer concluded, Madison saw her smiling brightly and proceeding to offer a warm and welcoming sign of peace to those around her. Madison realized she needed to offer people around her peace. She honed in on her parents, and as she grabbed their hands, Madison continued to scan around the building. She saw gentle greetings of peace spread quiet joy from pew to pew until her spin brought her face to face with the red tie usher who was bringing peace to the person on the end of each pew. Before she knew it, the man was right in front of her. Madison shook his hand blank-faced until his gentle smile drew her to smile back. Something in her reset, at least a little. She watched the man with the red tie continue down the line. Her angst waned a smidge. Madison went forward to communion with her family, actually leading the way as her parents and brother followed her. A dutiful older woman administering the hosts made quick work of grabbing a host and presenting it to Madison. The body of Christ, she abruptly offered. Not confident, but not skeptical, Madison plainly replied, Amen. Madison placed the host on her tongue, and as she turned to head back up the aisle, her mind and spirit relaxed, and so her face relaxed. The skepticisms and doubts her new friends had tossed at her weren't resolved but they receded for the moment. Madison was dwelling not at peace, but in an uneasy ceasefire. She sat down in the pew, slid forward to kneel, and had true quiet for a few moments. She was able to rest there as the Eucharist and vessels were purified and stored, as everyone sat, as the closing rites were finished. Then everyone was asked to sit for announcements. The pastor, Father Joseph, strode forward in his sharp, all-black suit and crisp white collar, and he brought an unfamiliar face with him. The two men reverenced the sanctuary, and the stranger trailed Father Joseph, who approached the ambo mic first. The other man took up a post just behind him. Madison took notice. Good morning, Father Joseph belted. The reciprocal reply was mostly lukewarm and mumbly, with a few chipper folks trying to carry the day. Father Joseph plowed on. It's good to see everyone on this beautiful Sunday. We're glad you're here, Father Joseph started. Then the pastor took a deep breath. A keen observer may have inferred he was masking tough news, but most folks wouldn't have thought twice about it. I do need to share some news with everyone. The diocesan office is tasking every parish and school in the entire diocese to undertake a process of review, he explained. Almost immediately, the body language of many adults around the church changed. Shoulders sank. Nearly inaudible groans slipped out. A few people inched up in their seats into a forward lean. Madison noticed the shift but didn't understand why it happened so pronouncedly. She continued to listen as many around her seemed more actively braced for impact. Bishop has asked our parish to work with him in several ways, including through sessions during which he can receive parishioners' input. Obviously this means all of our faith communities will have to take close looks at their mass attendance counts, their facilities conditions, and of course their financial situations, However, this process will not become cold business separated from pastoral practice and discernment. As we undertake our part in this, I'll be helping folks here lead prayer experiences, faith-sharing discussions, and listening sessions to incorporate a space for the human element in this. There has to be a spirit of discernment as people reflect and share, both in local communities and from the diocese, and my goal will be to guarantee it for St. Brendan. And so, you might wonder what fate awaits us here. We're surely a place of mixed fortunes, a beautiful, filled church, yet one with a ramshackle, shuttered school, and a sturdy, if dated, campus, a community of 2,000 families of fidelity and action. I don't have an answer for you on what may come next, especially not at this early stage, and frankly, neither does Bishop, or Kevin, Father Joseph said, gesturing to the fellow behind him, apparently named Kevin. And I asked Kevin to briefly introduce himself to you all today, so that he can be a familiar face during this process with us, Father Joseph explained, yielding to this Kevin character. Kevin sheepishly nodded to the pastor and meekly approached the mic, nodding again as the congregation came into fuller view. The pastor would later acknowledge that this wasn't the smoothest delivery or ideal packaging for challenging news to be shared. Good morning, everyone, Kevin began. No more than a handful of good mornings resounded back to him. Kevin cleared his throat against the quiet. My name is Kevin, and I actually grew up here in the area and as a youth group kid at St. Brendan. My parents belonged here before they moved away, and I did my sacraments right here in this church. I studied business at Notre Dame and then Northwestern, and I'm glad to be working for the church instead of some financial services company or something. A few years ago, the bishop brought me on for consulting and eventually hired me away from one of those companies to be his chief strategy officer, Kevin explained. A few nods of approval dotted the crowd as the mood in the room seemed to soften a smidge, It will be a busy time reviewing all the parishes of the diocese, but I want to assure you, no one is coming in here looking to merge and close parishes and schools, Kevin continued. At this, the intermittent murmurs gave way to full chitter-chatter. Couples leaned into one another, friends in adjacent pews huddled in not-so-hushed conversation. Kevin had used a dreaded word, and no degree of context and explanation could mitigate that. He'd let the cat out of the bag without even meaning to do it or really realizing what he did. Kevin took a half-step back from the mic and tried to minimize the bewilderment rising in his face. He turned to Father Joseph, whose poker face was starting to break ever so slightly, as his eyes bulged just a bit and some color rushed in to redden his countenance. The pastor deftly decided to reinsert himself into the presentation by making it appear as if that were the conclusion of Kevin's remarks. Madison didn't catch the pastor's concluding remarks, and the armistice within her was lifted. They're going to close our church, she blurted aloud at regular speaking volume. Madison turned to look at her brother, who seemed totally oblivious, and her parents, who seemed oddly calm to her, perhaps because they listened to the full talk and didn't reduce anything to one scary word. "'They're going to close our church,' Madison declared toward her parents. The knots in her stomach, about Katie and Eileen, hate and indifference, sabotage and sniping, were either shoved aside or perhaps affirmed and inflated. Madison wasn't sure what she really thought about her faith, about her social life, about her church, but this was her church.' and they might be taking it away. They don't get to take it away, she thought. Who the hell are they? Much like Katie and Eileen simultaneously supporting and sabotaging Miss Hope, Madison was suddenly both defensive and antagonistic about St. Brendan, and it was making her mad, and she was ready to act mad. All the while, the Catholic calisthenics continued, a stand, a sending forth song, and a string of applause for the music ministry. As the pews emptied, Madison's parents shuffled down the row to compare notes with their old neighbor again, once again followed by her lemming little brother. The town was abuzz with a fresh topic. Madison was alone. She stayed back to stew a minute. She sensed she may be on a different wavelength than the adults down the row. She reached into the pew shelf, shoved a hymnal around nervously, fiddled with old offertory envelopes and mass response worship aids, and then she decided she needed to get moving. Madison shook the nerves free by flinging her hands about. She was too antsy to stay there. Madison scanned around the church from the altar and sanctuary to the opposite side's pews, and her periscope landed again on Katie. This time, Katie wasn't seated, but rather standing near her family while they talked to some other parishioners. Katie wasn't engaged in the conversation, but she wasn't acting hostile to it either. Madison couldn't quite read her body language, but figured she might just be too far away. I have no idea what Katie is thinking, but I want to know. She can help me figure this out. Maybe we should just get rid of this place, Madison conjectured as she began to head Katie's way, sliding into self-doubts and skepticisms. Man, what is the big deal about this place anyway? Why do this many people come? Why do this many people keep coming? Why would old Joe and Andy give their lives over to priesthood? And why do so many people dump so much money into this place? For something to do on Sundays and a long list of prescribed don'ts? Maybe we should just wind this thing down after all. Madison was resolved that Katie could crack this mystery for her. But what draws someone to the faith anyway? Children can usually look to their parents who were probably raised in that religious tradition. Parents may or may not have a more complex thought process, but at minimum, most parents just are trying to pass on some structure, some morals and values, and some belief in something or someone bigger than themselves. Most parents surely want to cultivate a sense of the transcendent in their children. Others likely are motivated by immersing their children in an environment of community and serving and helping others. Maybe a few families just want to populate the earth with more of themselves and their beliefs. But then, what draws a young person to continue to choose the faith as they grow up? As a young child and teen, they may attend service mostly obediently and participate in some activities in community life. There's then questions of what they will or won't believe, what they will or won't belong to, and how this faith will or won't affect the way they live and relate to people. As they begin to drive on their own and go away to college and careers and adult life, what propels them to stay engaged and continue to belong? The spiral of new and oddly fueled thoughts propelled Madison across the church to Katie. She cut up her aisle toward the back, weaved her way through social circles and past the main doors at the middle aisle to cross to Katie's side. A fresh torrent of folks was exiting toward those doors, so Madison had to downshift a bit and wait for the crowd to pass before she could cross. As she started to lose her patience with her short fuse, she looked up to pick out a small gap and shoot through it. Madison bobbed a bit from side to side, and then dipped her head down and started to dart forward when she bumped into someone. Or so she thought. Madison! a voice shouted. All at once, she was impatient to get to Katie, embarrassed for bumping into someone, and nervous that she was being scolded for something on top of it all. Before she could pick her head up to figure it out, two arms reached out and wrapped around her. The squeeze of the hug gave away the answer. "'Christina?' Madison wondered, deburrowing her head from the tight embrace. She saw Christina's laughing smile. Once again, her unresolved emotions got pushed aside by a new feeling. Madison thrust her chin over Christina's shoulder and gave her a big squeeze back. "'I thought you weren't coming—' "'We got back early,' Christina blurted through the reciprocal squeeze.' Christina kept a grip on Madison and shuffled her over to the edge of the third-to-last pew. Now clear of the mad rush to the doors, they could talk safely for a second. Yeah, I was going to stay in Arizona for the week after the trip with my parents and my aunt and uncle, and we did. But then we decided to come home one day early so I wouldn't be so pooped before school started. We got back last night, Christina explained. Madison smiled. Ah, Christina grunted, excited to share. You would not believe the amazing people I got to meet on the U.S. side of the border— The companions, the healthcare and social workers, the Samaritans, and even Catholic religious. So many people are trying to help as these folks come across. And what's more, so many of the helpers are women, running shelters, serving meals, cleaning wounds, helping care for vulnerable children. These women, Madison, Christina declared, shaking her head in a disbelief of admiration. Madison smiled. Just a rising sophomore, Christina was surely wise and only rarely a fool. Madison was glad to soak it in to soak her in. Christina's joy and insight was magnetic. From the right side of the church, Katie's family wrapped up their chats. Katie trudged onward, a foot or two behind them, not complaining or bellyaching, but not celebrating the social ties her family had at their faith home. Katie's family headed on toward the car. Madison didn't notice her departure. From the left side of the church, Madison's family had gotten their fill of the whirling, spiraling conjectures of church closure and consolidation now slowly walking toward the exit with their old neighbor and trying unsuccessfully to shift their conversation to other genial matters. Both families reached the middle doors at the same time. Madison's family yielded to Katie's family. Katie's dad nodded and ushered his family onward. Madison's dad nodded back as he shook hands with the red-tie usher and then looked back toward the sanctuary. It was then that he spotted Madison. Before he could call out to Madison, he saw Christina too, sitting beside her, he smiled and led his family over their way, backtracking from the doors back into the nave. A moment later, Christina's family joined the fray. Altogether, they chatted while Christina started to tell Madison a few stories from the Mexico side of the border. You could, and should, call this Faith Sharing. Working with young people is rarely dry or dull. They are in such a time of growth and self-discovery that they are frequently changing, sometimes drastically, but more often in small, incremental ways. You have to do your best to judge their character and invite them to grow, to be good and do good, and you have to try to discern where each of them are at, all along a wide range of immaturity and wisdom, a practice that will often humble you by showing you things you missed or misunderstood in them. Even as they let you down and or confirm your best hopes, you have to above all give them opportunities. You have to identify gifts and passions in both the immature and the wise, and bring them to opportunities to share their best traits and serve others. Often ministers find ourselves leaning on the good ones, perhaps taking advantage of their reliability, their responsiveness, their desire to make adults proud of them. Often ministers find ourselves bemoaning, chasing, and scolding the tough ones, perhaps playing into tragic scripts they're trying to write. And even as ministers have to check themselves on both ends of this spectrum, There exists also a sizable middle group. These kids in the middle may have neither discipline problems nor model behavior, may not have academic struggles nor intellectual excellence, and may not have poor judgment nor blossoming faith. Often, they're just quiet, understated, largely average kiddos just doing their thing, and these can frequently be the kids who get overlooked, underutilized, and even forgotten, often all while being susceptible to negative influences if they get there before positive ones do. One of the most complex yet fruitful processes I was ever a part of in my pastoral ministries was assembling a Kairos retreat leadership team. Whereas one day retreats are often just a group of plucky volunteer students with a morsel of training, most schools, mine included, use the multi-night Kairos as a chance to do intensive faith formation and student leadership training with young people. On the one hand, you need some kids with pre-existing competencies that you can really hone and shape. On the other hand, you want to take a chance on some kids who maybe have an emerging gift or passion, and use the intensive process to give them a lot of close attention that can help them grow in awesome ways. You get and read written applications, you interview the kids individually, you talk to teachers, support staff, and admins about them, you get in greater depth with counselors about the bits they can share about the students, you try to build a hearty portrait of each one, and then you attempt to build a balanced team with diversity in many different respects and you hope you've hit upon a vocational moment that the Holy Spirit will nourish as each kid is formed to lead by serving. All this is to say there are tons of layers to young people, especially when it comes to engaging their faith. Teens have so much to navigate, both in their social surroundings and within themselves. It can be a bit of a crapshoot for ministers to be effective companions, and we're simply called to fidelity, to a good faith best effort that prioritizes the young person and their growth. This means striving to offer consistent invitation to service and faith formation, encouragement to be in strong community settings like retreat teams, service groups, liturgical ministries, and more, and trying to facilitate healthy faith-forward relationships with both adult faith figures and with peers. In Chapter 2, Madison is a kid up for grabs. Christina is a kid seeking deeper faith and trying to bring others with her. Katie and Eileen are turning away and trying to bring others with them and Miss Hope is calmly watching to see what she might be able to do. In ministry, I hope to help young people reach a few milestones. First, engage with matters of faith authentically. Then, develop a desire to be a part of something communal and bigger than themselves, and want to contribute charity and justice in our world. And three, to thoughtfully ask and explore challenging theological, social, and spiritual questions. Hopefully, this would lead them to belief and belonging hopefully rooted in the church, but often that's not something teens are quite ready for. These three earlier targets were the stepping stones that me and my Mm -hmm. colleagues tried to try. Instrumentals for this podcast were composed and performed by Jason Pham.